0: I honestly believe that our generation, um, well, I say our, even though you and I are not quite the same generation. As a child, Samuel struggled with intense anxiety, but was not officially diagnosed until high school. As a young adult, he learned that he also had ADHD. On today's episode, he shares with us his struggles as a naturally extroverted person living with anxiety during a pandemic. And he also discusses techniques that have helped him to manage both mental illnesses. My name is Katie Houston Davies and this is Mental Illness and Me.
1: I am a digital marketer. Um, I am the social media manager for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. <laughs> As my, my day job, I'm also a writing tutor for the UVU Writing Center. I've been at the Writing Center for about three years. Um, in my not school and work endeavors. Um, I am a musician and songwriter. I've been writing and recording music since I was about 10 years old. Um, So I have a deep love for music and for creativity in general. I do a lot of graphic design in my free time and a lot of writing. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I've been married for two and a half years. And I have a um, Sphinx cat that I am obsessed with. (laughs) Um, His name is Hamish. And yeah, that's basically my entire life.
0: At what age, Samuel, did you start noticing that you struggled in a way that was perhaps different from the peers your age?
1: This is a great question. So I believe that honestly, I struggled with especially anxiety and ADHD to a certain extent, but anxiety for sure, since I was very young. Um, I just don't think I really had a name for it. I, it wasn't as huge of a point of discourse in the the world at large, I think, at the time when I was growing up. So I didn't really know what it was. I just knew that I was like constantly overthinking things all the time. And I had tons of irrational fears that kept me up all the time. And would make me like physically sick. So that was that was most of my life growing up.
0: <laughs> was that as early as elementary school?
1: Yeah, as early as elementary school. Um, I remember being pretty young and just having lots of fears about lots of things uh, that were pretty disabling at certain points. Um, I had my actual like first like legitimate like panic attack probably in high school. Like probably probably my sophomore year of high school. And then I had those pretty consistently. And that's when I really started to, that's when I really knew like something was wrong with me. (laughs) At least not wrong with me, but that there was something that needed to be addressed. Right. Right. Um, When that became kind of a a consistent thing. Um, And then I started to realize that I had had a lot of mental patterns throughout my life that (laughs) were very conducive to what people call anxiety.
0: Well, I agree with you that even, I mean, I'm older than you are by probably, I don't know, 10 years ish. How old are you?
1: Probably I'm 22.
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm more like 15 years older than you. And even still, I feel like the dialogue was not as open. And I think that even a lot of parents were confused growing up, knowing how to, help their kids when they have these anxious thoughts in fact i'm a teacher still i teach elementary school and i've had a couple parents who have talked to me about their children's deep deep anxiety that as early as kindergarten that they are not sure what to do with and so i think that it's even today it's like um it's it's just such a prevalent problem and when you're that young and dealing with it it's it can be pretty tough as a parent do you remember it all what your parents' reaction was when you would have these difficult times,
1: I think my parents kind of struggled with it um in terms of just the it's not, I don't think it's at least necessarily something that they had struggled with, maybe they had, but i don't i obviously I don't know, <laughs> but early on in my life, like I don't think they really knew much about it. I kept it mostly to myself um a long time but once I started like having the panic attacks and those types of things that was you know obviously not easy to like hide from people and not that I I didn't want to but you know like that's pretty obvious external um sign that you have something going on so my parents started to get involved when that started happening um and just kind of under try to understand like what was going on with me at least um But before then, I kind of, I guess I didn't understand. I thought it was just how people thought. Like I didn't realize that it was just like an abnormal thing to have the thoughts that I had, like the anxious thoughts and the the fears and all those things. I just kind of thought everyone kind of felt that way. So, I just you know, I just lived with it and never really brought it up.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. And I don't know if there's a difference with male female kids as far as keeping it to yourself or opening it up, but I would be interested in, in researching that a little bit to see. Um, but what a difficult way to live as a little child to carry those burdens. Yeah. And still. Right. And still. You're right. Um, so when were you officially diagnosed? I know you've mentioned ADHD and anxiety. When did those diagnoses come into the picture?
1: Sure. So anxiety, it was... I got like officially diagnosed when the panic attacks started happening. So that was around 2013, 2014. Um, it's been about seven years now or so. Um, and then with with ADHD, um, that was definitely more, more recent um, within the last couple of years. Like I definitely, it's something that I've like, I always just thought it was kind of connected to my anxiety. <laughs> a lot of the symptoms that I had. Um, but then I started to, like, kind of realize that they were two different things that were both present inside of myself. When I, I started going to therapy and stuff um, a couple of years back, um, I started to realize, like, notice those mental patterns and those habits that I had that were very conducive to, and my therapist kind of would note, that, that was, like, very conducive to ADHD. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess, I I guess I do experience a lot of these things. And when I hear people talk about their experiences with ADHD, I was like, that sounds a lot like me. And that's because it was, (laughs) like I said, I think when I kind of noticed the patterns, like I kind of just always attributed everything to just being anxiety. And then I kind of started to separate and realized that there were that ADHD was like, oh, okay, so a lot of these things are ADHD that then feed into the anxiety that I already have, um, and kind of make it worse.
0: I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think that they often you will find some of these mental illnesses going hand in hand. And like you said, they're separate, but they definitely exacerbate one another.
1: Yeah, and look similar in some ways. So. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, what were some of those earliest ADHD symptoms or patterns that you were able to identify in yourself?
1: Yeah, I think there is this level of like almost like overfixation <laughs> uh on certain things and thoughts, and that also has to do with anxiety, but it's also a symptom of ADHD. Um Physically, I'm a very restless person physically, which comes with the ADHD. So I'm a intense leg bouncer. Um, I'm constantly touching things and fiddling with things, and so like I basically never sit still ever, um, which is fun for everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a big one. Um, and just the way my mind processes things, I guess, the ADHD, my mind just runs very, very, very quickly and jumps from one thing to the next thing. And I get very easily distracted, but I also am like, it's hard to keep my attention. Yeah, in that case, I guess, for ADHD, like, you have to say the same thing to me probably like four times before I actually register it. Or like when my wife tells me, ask me to do something, if she gives me a list that's like longer than three things, I will immediately forget the, the third thing probably. And maybe even the second thing. Um, so that's fun as well. <laughs> my brain immediately jumps to the next thing as someone's talking to me. And then it's just like, oh, did you tell me to do something? Like she asked me to, t- <laughs> they're like, I did like three times. And I'm like, oh, sorry about that. And then with anxiety, it's, you know, it's those, the fixation on worst case scenario type things. That's mostly been my experience where I'm constantly making up scenarios about the future and like freaking out about them. Uh, And that's always been the case for me um, to the point that it's made me like physically ill. I've had a lot of stomach problems. I've had a lot of panic attacks. Um, And yeah. And I think I also have a tendency to overthink like, social situations and those types of things so after i interact with somebody i will spend a solid hour afterwards just like going over in my head if i said the right things or did the right things or if they were upset with me or whatever so that's always been stressful
0: (laughs) well i can relate to that a hundred percent i for sure dealt with that uh my whole life you know as we said a lot of these mental illnesses are hand in hand so for me OCD is the main one but then the anxiety is major with that as well because when you fixate on things like that it causes intense anxiety and it's it's tough it's a very kind of tangled web I guess right what is it like experiencing a panic attack what does that look like
1: I think it's panic attacks are weird because they kind of show up in different ways for different people and I have different forms of panic attacks there are the types of panic attacks for me that are the more mild ones, which are basically like there are times for me when I'm thinking about, Oh, I have to go do this thing. Like I have to go to work. I have to do this assignment or whatever. And I get so anxious and so intensely worried about random things, like things that won't even happen or whatever. that my, my body and mind kind of just shut down. I'm just like, I get this overwhelming feeling of like, I cannot do this thing. Like I am physically incapable of accomplishing this task and my body and mind just like shut down and I can feel it happening, um, mentally and physically. And in those moments I just like completely ball up and just like shut down (laughs) mentally. And I often just like lay down in my bed and I'm just like, yeah, it's a mess. Um, then there's the more extreme side, which that I know that kind of sounds extreme, but this is like the more physically extreme side, which was when I would have the like kind of like the media portrayal of panic attacks, which are like the the hyperventilating and the body twitching and those types of things. Um, I haven't had those in a long time because I am medicated for that, so the medication really helps my physical symptoms of my anxiety at least. Um, but that used to be a pretty common thing. Is I would just my body would start to go into like fight or flight panic mode and I would hyperventilate and have muscle spasms and contractions and those types of things. And those could last anywhere from a short time to up to like two or three hours, depending on what was going on. Um, Yeah. But it's been a long, it's been a while since I've had anything that bad physically, mostly now it's just those very mental ones um, that don't show themselves outwardly as much.
0: Right. Yeah, Yeah. you make a good point that there are different forms and it takes different forms for different people. Um, I had my first severe physical panic attack. It wasn't until about, I guess it was three years ago now, maybe two years ago. It's actually what motivated me to go into treatment for my OCD because it was so bad that I ended up in the emergency room because my heart was racing at a scary level. And I happened to be uh, in a choir rehearsal with, there was a heart surgeon there. And so he came oh, and good. checked my heart rate and it was it was completely abnormal and it was staying elevated. And so they said it was best to get checked out. But in the end, it turned out that it was triggered by panic. And it's really scary to think that your mind can cause you so much angst and anxiety to have your body react in such a violent or, you know, such a drastic way. It's terrifying. I thought yeah. I was going to die. I really did. And I know for sure <laughs> it's, it's the most horrifying thing in the entire world. I will have to say that it's probably those minutes or, or even like you said, sometimes up to a couple hours are the most torturous. Ugh, it's, it's awful.
1: Yeah.
0: When you mentioned that, when you have the mental panic attacks where your mind just shuts down and you just crawl into bed, and does that lead to periods of depression at all, or is that more just a temporary, like you said, a couple hours, and then you're able to get through it?
1: That's a good question. I think it usually is just pretty temporary. Like I eventually move past it. It it takes time to just to sit and just like recenter myself. And sometimes that can happen quickly, or it can take several hours. Um, I've had to call in, call in for work a couple of times throughout my life, um, because I was having those moments where I was just, I felt like I was physically incapable of doing my tasks, even though nothing was technically physically wrong with me. Um, But typically, they don't last very, they don't last super long.
0: That's good. Yeah. Um my next question is how has your anxiety and or the ADHD affected your relationships with your family members and with your spouse? And I'm actually curious as to what dating was like, only because in my experience dating with anxiety was a very painful process and I wonder if you experienced the same thing.
1: Sure. Um I was very fortunate, at least that dating my now, my wife, um, she was very understanding of the things I was going through because she experiences mental illness herself. Um, Not necessarily the same ones, but she's, so she's very understanding of that. So when I met her, well, our relationship moved very quickly. So, I mean, we were able to get over that those types of things very much near the beginning. But that's not, I recognize that that's a very unique thing. Um, And in other relationships I've been in, I think that anxiety can be like a roadblock for some people, especially if they're not super aware of how it works. Um, But for me, I think what I learned to do was just be transparent, like overly transparent. And that's kind of the case for not just my romantic relationships but with any relationship that I have Um, with, you know, my coworkers or like my boss at work, those types of things. I like to just be transparent because I think it helps my relationships run more smoothly. If they understand from the get go that it's like, this is something I deal with. These types of things are going to happen sometimes and I'm working on it. But I just need you to know that. Um, And if they're okay with that, which they usually are, that's great. And if they're not, if it's going to be a hard thing for them, then obviously that's not a relationship that I find worth pursuing. Um, In terms of how it affects me and my family, everyone in my family in some way, at least all of my siblings struggle with anxiety or depression or those types of things. Uh, My parents, not so much, but my siblings all do. So that's been something we've all become very open, talking about our experiences with that, because we all kind of suffered in silence for so long. And then we all kind of realized, oh, wait, all of us are going through this at like different times. So now with my youngest sister, she is very open about talking to me and my other older siblings about the things that she's struggling with. And I'm I'm really happy to see that. And with talking to my parents about it, because I think we kind of led the way of overcoming that barrier for her. And now it's made it a lot easier for her when she's going through difficult things to be like, I'm not the first one to do this. My siblings have done this. This is okay to do now.
0: Yeah, that is fantastic. I love the open dialogue. And like you said, that your sister is able to be transparent and not be ashamed and to understand that it's a real thing. And just like it would be if you guys had like another illness in your family, like asthma or something that you had and something that you related to one another for how to take care of it and maintain good health. You know, it's, I, I wish, and I hope that that will be the case more in the
1: future. Sure. I think, the hardest thing with the relationships at least with it was mostly with my parents and this is not like anything about my parents because my parents are wonderful parents and have always done a very good job taking care of me and my siblings um i think part of it was just like i said earlier that like there just wasn't a dialogue as much around mental illness when they were growing up and so it's just not something it's something that's new for a lot of us um so when i I had, when all of the anxiety stuff really came to a head and that kind of thing. And when I, I went out to try and to serve a mission for the church of Jesus Christ. Right. Um, the first time I came back after like three days because I started having like really intense panic attacks and like physical issues, like right off the bat. And that was fun. Um, <laughs> and then I came home and was home for quite a while. And then I finally got cleared to go back out. And then I was out for about two months and then it all started happening again, and I had to come home again because I just wasn't physically or mentally capable of right. doing what was asked of me, uh, which was okay. I, I, can't, I Especially the second time, I like understood myself well enough to be like, okay, cool. I've done all that I could. Uh, but I think that was hard for my parents, definitely, um, to understand what was happening, what was going on with me, and what was like why it wasn't something i was capable of doing um but we all got over that and got through that after they kind of realized that there was a different path that was supposed to i was supposed to go on i guess i met my wife uh probably three or four months after i got home the second time so that worked out for me pretty well (laughs) um and that made it pretty clear that i had a different thing to do with my life but yeah, I think that was hard at first, especially the first time when I had to come home after like three days. They were just so confused. And, and,
0: and probably unsure how to help, you know, yeah. unsure how to to help you feel better too, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, and I think that was something that was hard, but we eventually figured it out. <laughs> and I eventually figured it out and found out what worked best for me.
0: Yeah. And I think that, um, there are becoming more and more options and opportunities for people who find themselves in a similar situation to you. Uh, Um, I think that the church specifically has been finding other ways for missionaries to serve in capacities that perhaps are not the same as what full-time missionaries do, like with some of the service missions and that kind of thing, because a mission is extremely difficult mentally um just because especially when you have anxiety you're the kind of person that wants to do everything right you are somebody who really wants to achieve and um be successful and to please people and when you can't always do that because that's not how life works you know sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes things are hard then it causes so much intense, intense anxiety that it's debilitating
1: i think it's really hard to be you develop all of these coping mechanisms and these ways of dealing with especially your mental illness and those types of things. And then when you go out to serve, um, all those things kind of disappear. At least a lot of them do, (laughs) whether it's your support group or music or whatever it is, whatever you're attached to, all those things kind of go away and you have to suddenly you're like, I don't know if I know how to cope with these things anymore. I have to find out, new coping mechanisms and we live in a world that is so connected all the time and to kind of remove yourself from that when it's the world that you were raised in and what you're used to i think that's super difficult
0: well but your experiences help to pave the way for others you know experiences like that that help to raise awareness and understanding about what people were going through and how there needed to be um some other options what have you found is most helpful for you in keeping your mental illnesses manageable
1: well the first thing is medication uh obviously i want to there has been such there's been a stigma it's it's going away now but there was a stigma around being medicated for mental illness but you know it it doesn't work for some people and for some people it's all that works um my wife is one of those people where that's, that's what works for her. She found something that really works for her, a medication that works, and it is golden. For me, it's kind of a mixture of, I'm medicated to handle a lot of my physical symptoms, um, so that keeps the panic attacks away. But then in terms of the mental things with the ADHD and the anxiety, the thoughts, the fixating, I have found there are a couple of things that really help me, but... Um, and I'm still learning to manage these things. I'm not perfect at these types of things. And obviously quarantine and the pandemic has made it a, sh- a different thing because I am super extroverted and I love spending time around people. And that really helped me deal with my mental illness. That, so that was difficult for a time, um, I'm learning to develop some new strategies. Um I think the real thing is I just need to take control of things sometimes Um, where if I feel like I'm in control, it's a little bit easier for me to manage, especially the anxiety where I used to be, I was a really huge procrastinator for a long time. So once I started taking control of like my time and my schedule and really nailing it down, I started using Google calendar religiously to like track out my day. So I couldn't forget things because of my ADHD And so I would, you know, be able to plan out, okay, I shouldn't be anxious about this thing because I have a plan. I have a plan for how I'm going to get it done and when I'm going to get it done. And so I don't need to fixate on it. Like I know exactly when and how I'm going to get everything done. Um, and obviously there's a need to be flexible because not everything always goes according to plan, but I think having a wonderful supportive spouse has been really helpful. Um, I'm really glad I haven't had to go through the pandemic by myself because I have a wife who's very loving and supportive and who's extremely extra- introverted. So she's taught me how to be more of an introvert um, to survive. Um, and just she helps me think through things more logically. She's the more logical of the two of us. I'm more emotional, certainly. She is able to talk me through when I get into the cycle. She helps me to kind of talk me out of those types of things and talk me down or just you know hold me and give me this that physical presence and support that um I might just need rather than trying to offer help so that's been mostly it I'm still trying to figure it out though Yeah, yeah.
0: it's it's a lifelong journey that's for sure I you said something that really kind of piqued my interest for a minute when you said that you're really extroverted and I think that there's kind of this like stereotype that the people that are really, really anxious are often people that like, don't want to leave their house or they are, yeah. Or they're very like socially awkward or they just feel, but, but I think that that's um, misleading because I think that there are some people that seem to be super confident. You know, you were involved in theater in high school, you mentioned, and you know, you can portray so much confidence, And then go home and spend two hours analyzing that one conversation and nobody even knows about it.
1: Yeah, I I definitely am fairly good at faking it till you make it. Um, That's, you know, something we learn about in performing and in theater. And I think for me in social situations, um, I'm I'm pretty okay at taking charge and I like to meet new people and those types of things. But it doesn't mean that I don't overanalyze every social interaction that I have to death because I do. Um, I think it's just, there's, you know, the different types of social anxiety in that case, where it's like, either you're just too scared to even put yourself out there, or you do put yourself out there, and then you just spend way too much time fixating and thinking about it. And also just needing other people, and like relying on other people too much, um, is also kind of a coping mechanism. That
0: is interesting. And I'm I'm really glad that we touched on this because I I really do think that sometimes people don't realize how much anxiety can be associated with somebody who seems to be very comfortable in a group situation or they're really good at public speaking or whatever, and we have no idea what kind of mental battle they're fighting, even over those exact same social interactions where they seemed so confident.
1: Yeah, and I think, like I said, it's just different types of coping mechanisms for different people where... I can really feed off of the validation that comes from doing a successful performance. Like, I I kind of need that, or I need the social interaction to distract me from maybe all of the crazy thoughts going on in my head that are swirling around. I can have people there to distract me and pull me out of it, Um, where I don't do well left to my own devices because of the anxiety and the way my anxiety works, I do I also do worse when I'm left to my own devices, because that's when the cycles and the spiraling can happen, because I'm left to my own thoughts. (laughs) And I like to distract myself because I have ADHD. So my brain likes to be distracted all of the time.
0: Right. Well, like you said, um, with COVID, like so many people's passions for acting and performing have been halted for a significant amount of time. Oh yeah, for sure. And I I know that that has led to intense anxiety for those same reasons you said because people find validation in performance but not just that they find joy in performance and yeah, and their social interactions are through their communities of arts and it's yeah, that's it's a mess. It is.
1: Oh, it's, it's a, a mess. huge mess.
0: <laughs> so, my last question, I know that you are Uh, interested in mental health advocacy, and I want you to tell me a little bit about your endeavors in that regard and why you're so passionate about it.
1: Sure. As a male, as a man who struggles with mental illness, I think there is this stigma that if men talk about their feelings or their mental illness that they're weak or whatever. And men are kind of told to cover up their feelings. And there's been this great insurgence of breaking that stigma and of men speaking out about mental illness and being vulnerable. And I love that because that's been my reality. My reality hasn't been the macho, tough, manly man type stereotype. It never has been. I've always been emotionally vulnerable and I've had mental illness and I've had trials. And I think, I want to help normalize that because that is what my reality is and what what are we all trying to do other than trying to make our reality seem a little more normal, I guess. <laughs> but in terms of what I'm currently doing um, to advocate for mental health, um, for my internship, for my degree uh, in digital marketing, I was able to work for a nonprofit, actually help kind of start this nonprofit Um, called Courage, which is a mental health advocacy platform that connects um, people to each other, basically. Um, It was invented by uh, this lady named Nina, um, because during the pandemic, she knew a lot of people were feeling very isolated and alone. And she wanted people to be able to be able to have real authentic connections with people who were understanding of their situations. So I got to run the whole social media presence for this. So I spent every day basically just creating positive mental health, positive mental health awareness, social media content for like four months. Um, I'm not working for that company anymore, so I don't do it anymore. Uh, The page still does exist. It's still running and everything. So if you want to support it, um, the Instagram page is at Courage, but it's spelled C-U-R-E-D-G-E, Courage for you. Um, They're also on Facebook. Um, I don't know how the project is running still, but it's good. It's got some – all the content on there was made by me, so – It's just something that was a little bit of light for people during the pandemic. And, you know, I try to continue to do that in my own life, (laughs) whether it's through my music or just through helping people when they need help and being. Or
0: coming on a podcast or writing a Facebook post. You know, that's actually how I got connected with you for the podcast that you did a post that was a very vulnerable, open post. And it made me realize, oh, this is somebody who could reach out to others through this platform and so um and if you hadn't done that then i would have never contacted
1: you so that's yeah.
0: fantastic
1: and of course just trying to with that post that you mentioned just trying trying to advocate especially for mending vulnerable but also for you know body positivity and those types of things for men because that's a huge thing where you know there's a lot of that for women these days and as i was working with courage i followed a bunch of these body positive pages for women and it made me realize that i was like you know, I don't always love my body and that's okay. And I can work on that type of thing. But I think a lot of men feel that way and we're just too afraid to talk about it. And I think with men, whether it's mental illness or body image issues, men should be able to speak out and to feel like it's okay to have those feelings and to have that be a reality. Um, and we should be talking about it and engaging in it cuz that's the only way we're going to get better and that's the way i've started to get better is by opening up and talking to people and realizing that i'm not alone in my experiences
0: oh, i'm really glad you brought that up i think that's a huge one and i actually before i started the podcast i was doing a youtube series and sure. one of my former students spoke about that exact issue about the body image and he talked about how for men it's just it's really hard because there is a stigma about talking about your appearance guys are supposed to not care right and and it's it's really really tough when there's resources out there for women and they make it sound like it's such a normal thing for women and it inadvertently makes it seem like it's abnormal for men and so I yeah I really appreciate you bringing that up and I hope someone hears that and understands that there are others out there who struggle with the same thing.
1: Yeah, and I always, you know, I like to leave myself open to these types of conversations. Um, that was my favorite thing about working for Courage was that because I ran the social media accounts and stuff, we would have people message us or reach out to them and I would just get to have conversations with them about what they were going through and just kind of be supportive for them. And that was, that was really huge for me, and I would love to continue to keep doing that, um, especially for men. Uh, I know it's really hard, um, but if there are any men out there who are listening to this who want to talk to somebody who's maybe a unbiased third party or, you know, just someone who maybe understands what they're going through, I make myself available to you. Um, I'd love to have those conversations.